Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the 2024 Olympic Trials. And our Boston recaps continue with Nell Rojas. Nell, welcome back to the show. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to chat. So we had our intro episode a couple months ago, and we haven't had a chance to speak since then. Mm -hmm. And that show was highlighted by the fact that it was like, you know, one week, give or take, and you might not have run the Boston Marathon because it was mm -hmm. like your winter was so nuts. And there were such like from a health perspective and all these crazy things that you were seemingly really close just being like, oh, no Boston this year. So I guess since we last spoke in and you've also run very well at Boston and at the Cherry Blossom 10 miler. How were those kind of initial weeks in February from a training perspective, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally as you started to get your, your sea legs under you? Um, good. Yeah. Last time we talked, I was in like this, like pretty dark, um, spot. Um, obviously if you, I, I don't remember what I said, but I remember being like, Hmm, that seemed negative <laughs> after I got <laughs> off and I was like, yeah. That's pretty negative, pretty accurate. So um, we'll leave it no, there. Not many but... people are like, hey, I got great news. I might not run the Boston Marathon. Usually, <laughs> yeah. a, usually that would be an atypical sentence that <laughs> other, someone could utter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, since then, is that what you asked? Yeah, how's it been yeah I, guess, okay. I guess like in February. How, right. how did training go in February as your health started to catch up and as you were obviously eyeing um, some of the goal races you had on the calendar? Um, got, it was like a very linear, I think after I talked to you, it was like a very linear, slow progression to health and to being able to pull off some decent workouts. So, you know, it really, this build really turned into like, all right, let's like not push it too hard. Let's like get some appropriate workouts in let's get you healthy to the start line and um that's kind of how it was like you know my numbers of my workouts were like i would say similar like my paces were like similar to what they were in the last build but i didn't push it so like typically at the end of like a workout you know at the last couple of intervals like maybe i'll like really push a little bit. Um, but this build was different cause I just didn't do that. I just like kept everything very moderate and very appropriate. Um, but can, yeah, can it was, can I sorry. Jump in there on that one? So how did you take to that? Like, did, did you like pushing stuff at the end of workouts? Did it feel awkward not to, not to test yourself in that manner? Or was that something that you came by naturally and you really got into a flow with that kind of mentality? Um, no, I like pushing things. Um, it gives me confidence. Um, I just like finishing strong. I, I, that's like just my nature. I think I like pushing workouts pretty hard. I like like really high intensity workouts. So to not do that and to back off was a little unnerving for me. Um, and also just like real, like a little more, <laughs> I'd say a little more like tame and boring. Those are two adjectives that usually aren't attributed to you. So <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you, you sharing that, um, you know, when you're going through this experience and once you've, you've kind of 
gotten to the point where health is no longer a concern and you've, mm-hmm. you've kind of passed that hurdle and you're just thinking about training like you normally would. Um, do you find yourself looking back at like previous years and making potentially apples to apples comparisons? Again, you ran Boston last year. So how much time did you spend either purposefully or subconsciously kind of comparing how this year was going to last year? Um, I'd say like purposely, I went through my training log a lot, um, to, to try to gauge my fitness, um, and compared apples to apples, which is really hard to do during a build because of different mileages, different races, how you're feeling. I was in Austin versus Boulder versus Phoenix last year. So it's just like, it's a little different, but you know, you can go through your notes and you can say like, okay, here's what I said about that last time. And here's what I said about this, this past workout. And my numbers were actually pretty, yeah, similar. And like, I knew I was backed off, um, like my effort this time. So I knew, I knew I could run better than last year. Um, just frankly from like, Last year, I wasn't, I went into Boston just like completely wrecked. Um, I just wasn't recovering. So I knew I could run better, even though like I, I don't think I was in better shape. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as you're getting ready, I guess as the first thing, when it comes to the Cherry Blossom 10 miler, which I think is also the USATF 10 mile championships, um, mm-hmm. which is a historic race that people hadn't heard of it. It's always a really good, good group of athletes on the men's and women's sides that compete was that always on the calendar and how do like those kind of like, I don't want to call it a prep race because it's, it's a fantastic race in its own right. But how do you like to put those yeah. into your, your marathon schedules? Yeah. Um, it was always on my calendar. Um, we like to race two weeks before a marathon, either whether it's a 10 K. So in the past it's been gate, um, Cooper river, which is a 10 K also hilly, which helps for Boston. And then, um, the 10 mile happened to be two weeks before, you know, in the past, if you look at history, like there've been a lot of great winners who have won t- the 10 mile and now, and then won Boston. Um, like some of the, like, I only know that because like it was in my dad's era, but, um, yeah, we like to do a hard effort two weeks before. And then I did, and that's like to get one last, like fast, um, workout in basically. Um, and to, cause like usually your fast short stuff will kind of tell you how you're going to do in the marathon. Yeah. So why opt for the the longer distance this time? And, and how did that compare from a race prep, um, perspective um, compared to the 10 K not only in terms of preparing yourself for Boston, but also maybe getting a gauge on fitness. Um, well, it was just timing really, you know, like, um, I guess there, we could have done Cooper river. I think it was also that weekend, but, um, I think, I think like, because I was like maybe a little bit less prepared or I just needed a, like one last actual workout. Um, we opted for the 10 miler. Um, and you know, I did it, what was it? Two years ago. I won it two years ago and then had a really good performance at Boston. So like, you know, you could look at that time and kind of see what it compares to going into Boston. Yeah. And 
when you think of a 10 mile race, you know, like this one, you know, roughly 53 minutes or so, do you view that as like a short, fast race or, or like more of like an endurance test? Like how do you categorize like a, a 10 mile effort in that sense? Oh, definitely. It's a short, fast race. Yeah. I mean, cause we're basically comparing like paces for the marathon. So we want to get a, the biggest gap we can between marathon pace and the 10 miler. Um, so yeah, more like a, we view it more as like a 10 K. Okay. And when you go into this race specifically, so this year is an example, you know, two years ago as well. Is it just, Hey, this is a race and I'm not even thinking about Boston. This is a race on itself. And you know, when I step to the starting line, all other races have kind of disbanded or is, or do you view it in light of, okay, I'm training through this race. Obviously I'm going to give a hard effort, but this is a, a stepping stone in a sense. Um, yeah, there's a couple of ways to go about a training race. Um, we do do like, I, I think our philosophy is that we want to race well when we race and, I think that benefit of speed that you're going to get for any of these training races are worth a small taper. So we do taper for these races. It's not like obviously a marathon taper, but you know, for example, my um, mileage was 115 and I think I ran 90 miles that week. So we do taper for these races to get the biggest benefit out of that race. Okay, so is that like a two or three day taper? Like, do you still have a a normal workout, you know, week of? So, the long run the week before is going to be on Wednesday instead of Sunday. Okay. So you know we're doing like a twenty two twenty four miler instead of doing it seven days before. We'll try to do it at least ten days before. Okay. Um, and then the week of we will do a speed session. Um, we'll keep it a little bit more under control. So we did, I think that week we did like, we did a mile at about marathon at altitude. And then we did six sets of 600, 200, and then we did another mile bookend. Um, you know, and we didn't go crazy there, but we did get some speed in. Um, we did that on Tuesday and the race was on Sunday, I believe. So, um, and then, yeah, we started tapering, I'd say like a, a three day taper. All right. Let's talk about the race. All right. So we're going to spend more time talking about Boston for sure. But I think this is instructive, especially because it seemed like it was a fantastic race, especially from a viewing perspective. I mean, I'm bringing up the, the search results right here, um, which obviously, of course, because I'm doing this have now fallen off my computer and now I'm going to filibuster here as I bring them back onto my computer screen. But basically you had, I think it was four or five women who were within five seconds of each other. I mean, I didn't get a chance to, you know, I, I wasn't there for the race, but here we go. So we got um, Sarah uh, Challengat finished at uh, 52.04 and then Sarah Hall, 52.37. You, 52.38. Emma Hurley, 52.41. Molly Grable, 52.42. So four people in five seconds. Um, have you been in a race that wasn't like a 5K or something on the track where like it was that condensed at the finish line? Um, I don't know. Probably. 
<laughs> I mean, that seems like that seems like it was like incredibly close race, especially for something that is almost an hour in distance, an hour in length. I mean, so here's what happened. Um, we w- were going at a pretty good clip for the first like seven, seven and a half miles. It was really windy that day. Um, and so when you turn around and you basically come back for maybe two, two and a half miles. So then Emma Hurley, who's, you know, a younger rising athlete, she's awesome. Um, made a move at like seven, seven and a half. And like, I knew what was going on. You know, I was like, okay, well, (laughs) you know, you're going to make that move and you know, like we're about to turn right into a headwind. So I hope you can like sustain that you know like um so basically we turned we had like i don't know two two and a half miles to go and we just no one was going to take the lead she had the lead and so i just filed in right behind emma and then sarah was right behind me and then i think molly was right behind her and basically we were jogging we jogged for we jogged for two miles um and so it was like we were basically just like, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? And I had, um, you know, Ryan Hall was right there and he was like, Sarah, like, don't even think about touching the lead, you know, cause that would be, we were going straight into a headwind. And so was he he on course or was he biking alongside? Um, I think he was on the course. You Um, heard him call out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, of course that was pretty obvious and it was just kind of like, okay, well, I had the race two years ago in my mind that I started kicking at like, I think it was like 1200 against Jenny. And I really wanted to do that because I was scared of Jenny's. I was, I was, I I wasn't confident in my speed, obviously. Like I didn't want, I didn't want Jenny to be right there. We should should tell people who don't know, you're talking about Jenny Simpson, who's one of the best track athletes of this generation. So that makes a lot of sense in the world. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm not going to do a hundred meter kick against, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Jenny Simpson and then I had the same thought with Sarah so at like I I think it was like between 800 and 1200 to go I was like okay you know what like we're jogging I'm gonna have to make a move I don't really I mean Sarah is a 1500 meter girl you know her her history and so I I should have what happened is I got I like stepped out meaning like from behind Emma I realized immediately that my legs didn't have a 1200 or 800 meter kick. And especially cause we were still going into the headwind. And so basically I should have stepped back in and been like, Nope, I'm going to wait. But I was like, yeah, I made it. I, I started my move. Um, Sarah went right with me. Um, I was, we were still in the headwind. So I just, and then she like blew past me right at the end. So basically like, I don't know had I waited what the results would have been had they been differently who knows like Mm. but i did make a tactical error and i did go too soon so that's why it was such a close race is because we were jogging gotcha okay (laughs) yeah so so if you could do it again knowing what you know now yeah would you have gone later or would have you gone potentially like three and a half miles to go and kind of push the pedal to the metal before before the wind no, I would have gone later. I would have trust my speed because, you know, I do do a lot of speed work. I do do, you know, a lot of 200s. I do do a lot of strength. So I would have trust my speed and I would have waited 
especially because when you do make a right and then you're not going into the wind. So I, there, and there's a little hill right before the maybe 600 meters to go. So I probably would have waited until then and then like made a harder move. Gotcha. All right. Competition aside and race tactics aside, what did that race tell you about your fitness heading into Boston? It told me it was okay. <laughs> I wasn't like, I wasn't like, wow, I'm so fit. I wasn't like, wow, I'm not ready. I was just like, yeah, appropriate kind of like what I thought. Am I like super ecstatic with that race? Like, I don't know because we jogged for the last two miles. Like it wasn't for me, it wasn't a test of fitness. Um, had we held on to the pace that we were going the first half, then like, yeah, I would have been like, okay, I'm fit. I'm ready to go. Like, I think I would have run fat, like faster than I had the two years before. So, but like, it was just windy and just kind of weird. So I wasn't, I didn't have like strong thoughts for it, except for like, I will do well at Boston. It's not going to be anything like crazy. I don't think I'm going to be like, super ecstatic with my fitness, but like, once again, I will show up and I will have a solid race. And with this race being two weeks out from Boston and being, you know, a hard effort, what does that mean for the, the, the two week period in the interim between those races? Um, especially when you combine the you know potential travel, I don't know if you stayed on the East coast or not, or you went back to Colorado and they came back to the East coast. What does that two week period look like? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, like that day, I ran 20 miles. Um, I did a really long warm up um, and then a shorter cool down. But, you know, that was a that was a 20 mile day. So you do have to make sure that you are recovering from that. And you're also like you, you want to make sure that you adapt from that race. So it means um, extra recovery. I think I did my first I, I went back. I actually went to Austin for like a week um, and I think my first workout was on Thursday um, after that. So I took four days of recovery or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three days of recovery. And then I did my workout on Thursday and it was, um, it was one case. And then, yeah, it was one case, I believe. Yeah. Some, some speedy one case. Um, I think my mileage was like 85 that week. Um, you know, I like basically continued the taper um, so yeah, that's what it kind of looked like. Okay. And then week of heading into Boston, you have, again, you've run the race before. You also felt like this year, especially compared to the past couple of years, a significantly amplified, um, corporate slash sponsor requirements for athletes, right? I saw athletes, including yourself, doing stuff all weekend long in a variety of different places. Mm. So we don't have to spend too much time on this because this isn't a Boston preview episode. This is a Boston recap episode. Mm -hmm. However, what did that, you know, 72-hour period before race day look like for you and how did you feel about it? Mm. Um, I mean, it wasn't as bad as it seems like I had, yeah, I had a Garmin event on Friday. On Friday, I had um, just like a meet and greet event for Boston Marathon. I had a Garmin event um, that night. Saturday, I had a Nike event that night. Um, and Sunday was like a technical meeting. 
Um, then there was like a press conference that was on Saturday day. And then there was like, you know, you have to like get your bottles in. So there's like things throughout every day that you're doing. Um, but I actually felt like I got to like be in, be off my feet quite a bit, um, compared to New York at least, which was nice. Um, I didn't sleep um, on, I don't sleep. Um, so I didn't sleep on, I didn't sleep on Sunday night. I didn't sleep on Saturday night. Oh God. I, I did sleep on Friday and I did not sleep on Thursday. So I think that to me was the hardest, the hardest part about everything. is just like how little sleep, it just makes everything like, I'm just like a little grumpy. <laughs> And, you know, with the nerves and everything, I'm just like, like when I saw you, I was like, I hadn't slept and I was just like, I just like, you can't focus. Like I have a really hard time focusing. Um, of course. So that's kind of how I felt. <laughs> right. And I said, we didn't have an event or anything. People wondering like, you saw Matt. Yeah. We, we literally just like walked past each other like, yeah. in, in, the, in, yeah. in the street. Um, so, and that was on Friday. So. Mm -hmm. All right, let's just zoom out to like the zoom into like the night before, right? So you're not sleeping the night before the race again. I know a lot of people, um, probably they, a lot of people probably slept fine the preceding days, but a yeah. lot of people struggle the night before a big event that they're really excited for. Mm -hmm. um, when that's happening to you, as someone who seems like have dealt with this plenty of times before, mm -hmm. how do you handle that? Like, did you pick up a book? Do you put on the TV? Do you just kind of sit there and like? Have yeah. your mind basically going like a doom loop of like what's happening to me? Why can't I fall asleep? Like how does how do you manage that experience? Um, honestly, I usually handle it better. Um, I usually like, you know, understand that I this happens to most athletes. It's happened before. I have I have, you know, raced well on no sleep. Um, this time I did not handle it well. You know, usually I'll just like lay there. Maybe I'll listen to like a sleep podcast, you know, that like falls you asleep. Maybe I'll, um, get up and like get some water reset. Um, I remember last Boston, I was like taking like cold showers just to try to get my parasympathetic nervous system up. Um, this time I just like didn't have, I didn't have the patience. I didn't have the tools. Because honestly, like, I didn't sleep the whole build. Like, I, I haven't slept in, like, three months. <laughs> and oh so, like, I was so angry. <laughs> and I'm not, like, an angry person. But, like, when you don't sleep, you just, you're just not yourself. And I was so angry because I didn't sleep the night. It was going to be, like, you know, 48 hours or 72 hours since I had slept when I when I raced. And I was just, like how am I? And I woke my boyfriend up, you know, he was like in a deep slumber because he like had, he went out to like, they, they went out to like eat some great seafood and he probably had like a couple beers and he came home and he just like fell asleep and I woke him up and I was just like cursing. And I was just like, so upset. Cause I was like, I don't understand why I can't, like, I just like want to sleep. I want to perform well. Um, and that's how that happened. <laughs> I'm sure he provided some wonderful advice. When he yeah. he a poor guy. He was like, um, can I do anything? I'm sorry. You know, and he can't do anything. So, you know. Well, we all need people to vent to. 
So it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he did a good job. <laughs> um, all right. Morning of specifically at the starting line. Okay. Um, so you're there next to all the other women ready to get going. What are the potential situations that you're weighing in terms of how you're going to manage, you know, the first 5k, the first 10k, uh, in terms of what you want to do and trying to read the field and get a sense of like, all right, if this happens, I'll do this. If this happens, I'll do that. How do you, how did you manage that moment in trying to determine exactly how you're going to progress in the beginning miles? Um, I really, you know, my main goal going in was to not get sucked into any of the like, um, yo-yoing going on. So not getting sucked into sprinting at the fuel stations, um, and then slowing way down, sprinting when someone makes a move and then slowing way down just cause like New York was insane how much we like accelerated, decelerated, excel, and that just takes so much out of that. Just like depletes your glycogen stores. It just is so much harder. So and that's kind of like how these races have gone. Like you're just like getting sucked into this. And so my main goal, I was like, I'm going to run my whole race. Please, God, let there be a group next to me or like someone to run with, you know, because last year I ran the whole race alone. Um, And I think I did really good. Like I, I did not sprint through the aid stations. I let them go. And then they would come back to me and I was like, okay, solid pace. If I need to make like a small surge, I'll do it very gradually and I'll do it like very like slow and I'll like let them go and I'll, and I'll catch back up to them. Um, I wanted, I knew I could run 530 pace. So I was like, all right, I'm going to like, you know, I'm not going to take the lead. I'll run between 525, 530 pace, see what, how that feels and, um, I was not going to go with any group if I, if they were going any faster than that. Um, so that's kind of like how I was approaching the race. You ran, you know, a pretty balanced race, you know, especially mm-hmm. for someone who's competing with other people, as opposed to other folks who are kind of just, you know, time, tri- basically doing a group time trial, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're there to win, you're there to compete with other people. So walk me through the, those early mile decisions, um, from a pacing perspective and maybe even from like a grouping perspective. Yeah, there's no real decisions to make the first 5k. Honestly, I wish we didn't go out at 609. Um, you know, we're just jogging the first mile and that's how it's gone out the past couple years. Um, which is kind of frustrating because you're breaking more than you're not breaking and you're not taking advantage, you know, I don't I don't think they should go out that fast, but you're not taking advantage of that downhill. Um, and like the men, they went out at like what, 432, 435. And we went yeah, out at flying. like, what? Yeah. They're they were flying. Flying. Yeah. We went out at 609. And so basically you're just like trying not to fall and like, you know, step on people and you're trying not to be tripped and trip people. Um, and you're just like waiting for someone to like kind of start moving a little bit faster. So there's no real decisions being made in that first 5k. When you see that starting to happen, why not just push up a little bit and just kind of like speed up? Again, not a lot. Not like you're breaking away, right? This mm-hmm. isn't, again, all respect to CJ. This isn't a CJ Albertson, like, there he goes. Yeah. Up front, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm assuming that there were probably other women who felt 
very similar to you in terms of like, yeah. hey, I'm not trying to go out fast, but like 609 pace, come on. Like, yeah. can we speed this up a little bit? Um, when you're in that situation, like, I guess, why why not be proactive in that situation as opposed to kind of like reactive and just kind of going with the group? Um, couple reasons. There's a headwind at Boston. Um, not the best idea to take the lead in a headwind. And, mm-hmm. you know, you want to conserve any energy you can. Um, two, you don't want to like do anything crazy to your mental situation. So like, say you go out, you know, you're like 10 meters ahead. Like there was one girl was ahead. Like you don't want people all of a sudden to like be blowing past you. Um, just at any point in time. Um, and so I think those are also like. I'm not looking at the pace. I don't know exactly what the pace is um, because, you know, your GPS is a little off. You're just not paying attention to that. So I think it's just the smartest idea just to kind of like go with the race, be relaxed, be calm, and just like kind of go with it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. it kind of reminds me when you see like the Olympic, like 1500 meters. Yes, exactly. Where it's like there's no yes. rabbit. So yeah. Like- they're pulling like a 75. You're like, wow, yeah. this is really relatable. I could do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> They're like, yeah, my, I think my stride length was like three inches. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, okay. Oh my God, that's funny. All right, so unfortunately, I wish I could sit here and like make really informed questions and dissecting different moves and this happened and tell me about that. But unfortunately, with the Boston race, there's basically just one camera on the front yeah. and that's it. And a lot yeah. of times they weren't even showing the women's event. So yeah. I, I basically had a Twitter explosion during the race. So I don't yeah. have to rehash that here. But um, so I can't sit here and be like, hey, tell me about mile 12. And when and this happened and that happened. So just just like with my conversation with Nico, who was in the second group, and I couldn't like walk through the whole process with him. If you could just kind of let me know, like in the first half or so, or just kind of let me know, like just from a, a grouping perspective and a pace perspective, what were some of the things that you'll remember from the first half of the race um, that, you know, people who weren't on course maybe didn't see? Um. Well, basically how it went for me was, you know, I think the first group went at five or six miles um, and it must, it might've been and it, it, I think that group turned into to two groups very quickly. Um, Sarah and Edna were off the back of that group. I was with Annie Frisbee. Um, I was kind of like right behind Annie um, for a couple miles and then just like trying to make my way to Sarah. We passed and she dropped Edna pretty quickly. So just Sarah was like maybe like, you know, 15 to 20 meters in front of me we were running at the same pace. I just couldn't quite catch her or just didn't really want to put in that much energy, like that much of a surge to catch her. So like just staring at the back of Sarah, basically probably from like, you know, probably from like eight miles to, I ran with her all the way to Heartbreak Hill. Um, and that was very helpful. It was really interesting running with her because I could, tell I felt a little better than her um I would have liked to sit behind her which I did for a little bit but I also wanted to like work together with her because I knew like 
that would bring us closer to the second pack because we could see them. We could see the second pack. We could see the first pack. And so basically like she ran behind me for a little bit. I would like on the hill and then we ran side by side, which was when we ran the fastest, it was definitely side by side. And it was very noticeable for me. So I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's like run together. Um, but any hill she would drop back a little bit. So I kind of like, I had this PTSD from the two weeks prior of <laughs> making a move too early on Sarah and her blowing past me, you know? And so in my head, I was like, okay, I'd like to run with Sarah. Um, so I didn't want to go and I knew I was stronger with her on the, than her on the Hills, but I didn't go. I kind of like jogged up the Hills was like, okay, she, she was able to like catch up to me on the downhills and like get going pretty fast, you know? Um, but I, I did, I held, I held back a little bit just cause I was like, she's going to like come blowing past me at the end. Or, you know, I was like, I don't know, like, I don't want to make a move too soon again. At the top of heartbreak, finally, I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm going. I feel good. I know we have this like 5k downhill to go. Um, I feel, I felt very, very strong, stronger than I've ever felt at Boston at that point, like way different, but I also wanted to be like, I didn't want to blow up. I wanted to be strong. So I just like kind of ran very, very, very within myself from the top of, well, the whole race, I just ran very within myself, which I've never done in a marathon. I've always like pushed it a little more, been a little more gutsy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was closing on that second group. Surprisingly to me, I was like, wow, like they're right there. And I was like, if I and can do you know just who's like in that group, I know Alephine seems like she was in that group. What Alephine, um, Mary Nagugi, um, I think Chep two Viola was in that group. And then I don't know who the other couple were. And then the Dutch girl from NN was falling off that group. I caught her and then I Is caught Nika, Nika Brinkman. Yeah. And then I caught one other person. So I caught her at 24 miles. I caught one other person right before we turned left on Boylston. Um, and basically like, you know, when I was coming down Boylston, I saw 10 people running, you know, like we were, that was close. It was close. Like I was, I was 14 seconds, I think behind Alephine. Yeah. Um, and close it and close it, you know, like I, there was a 30 second gap between me and that group for like the whole race. And then the last 5k, it was like less and less and less. So, so yeah, I was, it was, I'm happy with how strong I felt. <laughs> so what do you take from this race from a strategic perspective, right? You just used the word gutsy before to describe how you raced in the past and i just like i know i just asked a question but i'm gonna ask a question within a question now i guess mm -hmm. um like i can also imagine racing gutsy meaning like having the discipline to hold off right yeah. like that's also gutsy not to take the bait all yeah. the time right like to make a baseball reference like sometimes it's gutsy not to swing at the first pitch because yeah. you trust yourself to hit a pitch later in the at bat even if the first pitch is a pretty good one so i guess from a racing from a racing and competition perspective considering what you just said in terms of how strong you felt at the end what did you take from this race that you can use moving forward i mean from a 
tactical perspective, it's hard because you, I mean, every race is so different. You can't be like, oh, I can go with the second pack now because like who, that doesn't mean anything. It's not the same in any mm-hmm. race. Um, I, what I mean by gutsy, I think is like going sooner. Like I, I could have pushed harder. I could have 1000% pushed harder the last 10 K and the last 5k, you know what I mean? Um, but tactically, you know, I didn't really take, you know, you just, they're all different. So it's hard. (laughs) I think I did a good job tactically tactically this time it sure seems so that's why yeah. that's exactly why i asked the question because it does seem like you really uh, were able to manage the course and your effort and your relationship to the competition in a nice way um mm-hmm. you know you talked about having that patience through the hills of like all right no like i know i know mm-hmm. maybe sarah's not having the 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 race she wants to have right now but that doesn't mean just just because i noticed that that i'm going to slam the gas mm-hmm. right kind of waiting mm-hmm. for that right moment um this is a marathon pr for you right one twenty four. So, I mean, that's pretty nice. I mean, think about like all of the preamble we've done in the first episode and even in this episode in terms mm-hmm. of the difficulties, training not going great, coming into it um, with with less than um, less than what you wanted. I guess if we were to think about this whole experience, you know, a year from now, a year from before, like how do you want leading up into Boston 2023? How would you want it to look? All things being considered, you still came out and ran a PR. Um, is there like a pretty strong silver lining there or what what do you take from this experience generally over the last four to five months? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's honestly, you know, it's really easy to tell yourself like you do well at races because other girls don't show up or you get lucky at these races. Um, and that's kind of like sometimes my dialogue in my head, like, you know, like, yeah, you did well at Boston, but like, who is your competition? Or like, yeah, you did this, but so I think it, sh- it shows me like, you know what? I, I was so Boston. I was so close. I'm talking in a marathon, 10 to 20 seconds off of like some of the best runners in the world. And so like, and like with not the best, you know, no, everyone doesn't have the best build or whatever happens, but it, it just shows me like, I think I have so much more in me. Like I am so excited to like have be in this place that I am now to train for the trials, um, to, to, to actually like get after it. Like I didn't get after it at all this build I did not and I was like and I think that was the right move I think it's okay it was boring I like wanted to do more I like was kind of like god just like set me free I want to train like (laughs) set me free but so I think like what I learned is like I like when it's my time when when my body feels good and when I get the opportunity and it has to be I, I I have to listen to my body and I can't make these decisions based on my emotions and I can't make these decisions if it's not logical and it does not make sense and I think that's what a lot of other people don't do correctly um it shows me that like I can make the Olympic team and I can run with these girls um 
so yeah, I mean, the silver lining was huge in getting parasites in Kenya. Like I rested, I found out some like other things that were going on, like below the surface. And, um, I mean, I'm like so excited to, to train in for the next one. Yeah. And I think you also show that even when you're not on your A game, that you're right there with the best in the world, which must be a, a really cool experience. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting to like know that, you know, there's more and being in a good position. Right. Cause I think there, there are definitely going to be people, um, again, you, you can't prognosticate what's going to happen a year from now, but certain people who can go into a race again, whether it's the Olympic trials or any race for anybody thinking like, Hey, if things go perfectly, I'm in the mix. Mm-hmm. I can be right there. If I have my day, I can be right there. I think it's a completely mm-hmm. different situation to be like, Hey, even on a B minus day, I'm going to be right there. And mm-hmm. I think that that is, is a, a very different place to be. It, does, it, it promises you and guarantees you nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think it must, it must be a, a nice spot to be in. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, once again, there's no pressure on me. <laughs> um, and I like it that way, you know? Like, I like being an underdog. I think I show up when it counts. And I think I'll continue doing that. Well, thank you for all the time. I will say my last thing here. Um, good luck trying to keep that underdog status. No, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. No, thank you so much for coming on this show, for sharing all of this. As always, I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Great to be here.